I'm hoping that you guys can relate to this. But at least three times a month, I decide that I want absolutely nothing to do with social media. Like, just absolutely nothing. I, I, don't, I don't want the pressure of keeping up with it anymore. I don't want to be ambushed by any of your controversy, um, because you guys have some controversial things to put out there. And I just don't want anything to do with it. I, I, want, I, want to, I don't want to be invited to sell anything. I just want to, I want to delete it all. It's, this is at least three times a month. Even right now, you guys don't know this, but a lot of times I've got my iPad up here when I'm um, you know, leading, leading in music. I get so many text messages from people during the service uh, trying to tell me how pretty I am or something. And it's really distracting. I want to take all of my devices, throw them in the trash can, light it on fire, and never think about social media or anything like that again. I don't want to have to put up any kind of social media presence. I, I, so on occasion, I take my phone and I delete the app off my phone. I delete Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. And I just get rid of it completely because I don't want the pressures of it. I don't want to have to deal with anyone thinking anything about anything. I just don't want to deal with it. And those few days are magical. I love it. I can't even express how much I love the days that I don't have my phone pinging at me every 10 seconds because something's happening. In those days, I'm reminded of how nice it is not to compare myself to anyone. In those few days, it's, it's like I, I don't feel like I have to censor myself or like I can't make a post or like I have to make a post because I don't want to care about who's offended. It's just nice. I don't have to think about any of that stuff. I just can live and breathe and take my time and slow down and be okay with just my life. This is something that I want about three times a month. Some of my favorite memories in life are present in my memory because I've had no internet service. So, you know, sometimes I think about times that I'm on a cruise ship or, you know, in a, in a foreign place, you know, overseas in missions, and I don't have internet, and it's almost freeing in a way that I don't have to think about the pace of my normal life. I can just slow down and be okay with things as they are. We move at an incredible pace in life. I don't think we were ever meant to experience the pace that we go at. I don't think we're made for it. I don't think we're built to live life the way that we live it. And one excuse to disconnect and to just breathe is such a welcome shift in perspective. So all that to say, there's a reason why we've chosen to slow down in the Apostles' Creed. There's a reason why we said, okay, we rush through everything in life, and this one moment, we're going to really take our time to focus in and dwell on who Holy Spirit is. Because I think we've rushed past him for far too long, and we haven't taken time to truly breathe, experience what he has for us. We purposely slow down on this line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Trust me, we, we could have been flying through this series. In preparation, Pastor Bobby and I, we, we do a lot where we listen to what other churches are doing, and we, we do lots of studying, we read a lot of books, and some, some churches, and I'm not speaking against this, but some churches have gotten through the entirety of the creed in one Sunday. And while there's a place for that, again, not speaking against it, we've made a purposeful choice to give our pace an intentional breather. We want to fully delve in to the tenets of our faith and be confident in the slowdown that our body, church body, can be intelligent articulators of the gospel message. I think that's important. And I think it's something that we've all gained from this because we're, we're kind of nearing the, the end stretch, the final stretch of the Apostles' Creed. And I think all of us are better articulators of our faith because we've purposely taken a slow pace. We've slowed down. Last week, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and it was really it was fun for me to be up here. It was fun to hear all the feedback that you guys had as you kind of reprogram yourself and really think about what does it mean to be a Spirit-filled person. And not only that, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like when the Spirit is dwelling within me? We contrasted Paul's description of walking in the Spirit as opposed to what it looks like when we walk in accordance to the desires of our flesh. I think it was a really challenging. I think it was really illuminating for a lot of people. I know it was challenging for me because I had to kind of dismantle my whole thought process of, okay, if, if the fruit of the Spirit belongs to the Spirit, then what is my role in that? And I really had to question a lot for myself, and I know that many of you have as well this week. I think we truly need to understand that we often suppress the Spirit's attributes in pursuit of our own desires. That's something that I think we got out of last week. The Holy Spirit's fruits are the Holy Spirit's, and that's who they belong to. They don't belong to us, and we have to be really cautious 
and purposeful to reprogram ourselves and reprogram our thought processes so as to not take credit or responsibility for being God. Because obviously we can't do that. Holy Spirit's fruit is displayed in us when we get out of his way and let him do his work. So that, that's the best kind of summation that I could do for last week. It's also on the podcast and, uh, and, and on our website. I challenge you, if you weren't here, listen to it. Take some time to really figure out and really dwell upon what it means to be a spirit-filled person when Holy Spirit's fruit is displayed within you. What I want to do this morning is I want to identify what it looks like when God's Spirit is poured out onto his people. So we know from last week what it looks like when what he looks like when he's within us, right? We know what his fruits look like when he dwells within the believer, but what do we look like when he's within us? So we know what he looks like. We, he looks like his fruit. But who are the kind of people that we are? What do we look like when we have him dwelling within us? Because as his people, if the very spirit of God is someone we not only believe in, but also believe in dwells us, then we should know what it looks like when he's pouring his attributes into our lives. It's important. So to look ahead, first we need to go backwards a little bit. I want to start in Isaiah 42. And this is in new version notes as well. This prophetic passage is written so long before Jesus' earthly, earthly arrival, but in it we see a really early illustration of the Trinitarian union of God. So let's read this in verse 1 of chapter 42. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. So Isaiah here, he's painting a prophetic picture of God the Father, looking forward to the promised Messiah being fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. And here, he, meaning God the Father, tells the people that he will put his spirit onto the Messiah, Jesus, and as a result, he will bring justice to the nations. So then we're going to turn over to Isaiah 61, also in verse 1. And we're going to see another one of these prophetic statements. So the first one is from the perspective of God the Father. This time it's not from the perspective of the Father. Instead we're going to look at the perspective of the Messiah being fulfilled through Jesus. And this is kind of a song. It's, it's written as a, a jubilee is what they call it. It's a song of fulfillment that the Spirit has been poured out. The chapter in your Bible, it's labeled the Messiah's Jubilee. And it says this. Again, this is Isaiah 61 one. This is from the perspective of the Messiah now. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me. So the idea of anointing, it's really a, an important concept to grasp because it's all the way throughout Scripture. All through Scripture, we see this picture of anointment and anointing happening. And I immediately jump in my mind, and I, I'm curious if, if it's true for you as well. I immediately jump in my mind to when Jesus is anointed by the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. And everyone is surprised by this. They say, how could you possibly use something so valuable? And Jesus tells them, hold on, she's preparing me for my body's anointment at death. And so Jesus says, whatever the circumstances are here, anointing and anointment is purposeful and important. Then again, after Jesus' death and burial... Then the famous picture of the women, they all come to the tomb and they, they find that he's not there. But why are they going to the tomb? They're going to the tomb to anoint the body. Anointment is a scriptural and wonderful picture of something very important. Anointment happens at important times. So when Isaiah says in this messianic prophecy that Jesus was going to be anointed with the spirit of God being placed upon him, it's something that we should immediately be uh, cognizant of. We should immediately recognize this is important, whatever's happening here. It's something to be noticed, that he's using the phrase, the Spirit of God is going to be anointed upon the Messiah. Anointing is the idea that God's Spirit is not only on someone, but that he is working through someone. If you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 61, the verses continue, and the Messiah, Messiah's jubilee continues to proclaim that he has been anointed in order to bring 
good news, to bring healing, to bring liberty and freedom, to comfort the people who are mourning, that his anointing has come to give respite for those who despair. And when the word speaks of anointing, it means that God is going to do mighty and powerful things through those he has anointed. And we should always see any kind of phrase where it says that someone is being anointed as being purposeful and important. This is a really important thing to understand. God's works are mighty and powerful through those he has anointed. So then we're going to jump forward a few hundred years. The New Testament opens with four different books. If you're not familiar, it starts with the gospel accounts. And the gospel accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're four different people's perspective of Jesus' life on earth, his ministry as he lived here. So this morning we're going to move to Luke chapter 3. And this is going to be Luke's very first adult story of Jesus. We're going to look at his baptism. This is really the launching point of his earthly ministry. Jesus is about 30 years old at this point. He finds himself at the Jordan River. And then in Luke chapter 3, it says this. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So God the Father is well pleased with God the Son as God the Spirit descends upon him. It's such an incredible moment to really dwell again on the Trinitarian nature of God. He is three in one. But it's also a testament to the prophecy that has now been fulfilled. What the prophet Isaiah foretold is now being revealed in actuality as God's Spirit is poured out onto God's Son to the satisfaction of God the Father. God is well pleased. Jesus is baptized, and in that very moment, God's Spirit comes upon him. So, in our sprint through the gospel, let's go a little bit further. Luke chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus left the Jordan, and now he is full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So now Jesus, he goes full of the Spirit into the wilderness. He has an encounter of a great trial, great tribulation with the devil himself. He's tempted in a way that none of us will ever be tempted. He's been empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit, by the Father himself, and now he is commissioned to do his earthly ministry. And so, his first item on the agenda is he goes out to preach. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. And again, it's with the power of the Holy Spirit, as he's full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he goes into Nazareth. This is where he grew up. He enters into the synagogue, as was his custom growing up. It's Sabbath. This is what he does. And everyone gathers around to listen. So he brings everyone around. They all know Jesus. They listen to him. He's handed a scroll, and it's a word from the book of Isaiah. So Jesus unrolls the scroll, and from it he reads this Messiah's Jubilee. This is now in Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant and sits down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. He affirms it immediately. I am the one that Isaiah is speaking about. The Messiah's Jubilee is being fulfilled in your very presence. I've come to preach the good news. I release the captives. I give sight to the blind. I grant freedom to the oppressed. I make a proclamation of God's favor. God the Father himself has sent me, and I have been anointed with Holy Spirit. And it's this anointing, that brings us through the entirety of the gospel accounts. As Jesus preaches, he heals, he serves, 
He leads, he makes disciples, he proclaims the good news, he dies, he is buried, and he resurrects the victory all through the power of Holy Spirit. Do you see how easy it is to ignore something so integral? For me, I, I'm just, honestly, as I, as I studied for this, I'm devastated that in my lifetime of learning, it's only been in recent history that I've stopped to truly notice the power of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. That's, that's painful to think. That as I've studied all through my life, I, I'm not a new believer. All my life, that it's been recent history that I've noticed that Holy Spirit has been side by side with Jesus, empowering him to do the work of God because he has been anointed with him. How could I ignore the element of my faith that empowers me when Jesus himself illuminated it at the very onset of his ministry? That's devastating. All of Isaiah's prophecies fulfilled through Jesus because Holy Spirit had been anointed onto him. And that same spirit, the same spirit that empowered Jesus to do his earthly ministry is now on us and within us as believers, working through you and working through me and empowering us to continue on in the ministry that Jesus began. But it's powerful. It's the same spirit who empowered Jesus. Cornelius, he's a Roman centurion. Uh, he's described as both God-fearing and a respected leader of the Jews, so in, which is a really tricky balance in this time, to be both God-fearing and respected by the Jews. He invites Peter into his house in Caesarea. Cornelius gathers all of his friends and family together. He's like, hey, I'm going to kind of trick Peter into coming over to my house, and I want you guys to hear what he has to say, because he's been saying really incredible things. So Peter comes, and this is the message that he tells in Acts chapter 10. He says, you know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him? And what was the reaction? The reaction was this. They were amazed because now the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on the Gentiles. Even in the New Testament, people are amazed at the understanding that the Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to do all the things that they were just blown away by, that now they are also empowered by the same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit and the same anointing that was prophesied and placed over Jesus himself and was the catalyst for the good that he accomplished on earth is now the same astonishing gift that's poured out to you and to me. The Messiah's jubilee was fulfilled, and it is not finished. God's Spirit was poured out then and continues to anoint the believer today. That's incredible. And this anointing should mean something to us. It should matter to us. So that's, that's the backstory. At this point, let's head over to 1 Corinthians now. The, I know the last time we really went through this book, uh, we kind of spent like months on it. I promise we won't take that long this morning. Um, however, we, we did go through a, a deep dive of this book. So some of this is going to be a little bit of a rehash. However, I think it's important. I promise you're going to understand gifts in a way that maybe we haven't focused on them before in the past. For those who weren't around for that study over 1 Corinthians, the book is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And this church is in kind of a huge and divisive spiritual battle between godliness and culture. And Paul wanted to impress upon the people there and wants to continue impressing upon us today that being a spiritual person has nothing to do with the person you are and everything to do about the spirit who is within you. The whole point of the book is the people asking, what makes me spiritual? Is it that I portray the gift of tongues? Is it because I go out and I do these things for the community? Is it that I repress people who are against God? And Paul says, no, your spirituality has nothing to do with who you are and everything about the spirit who is within you. So we start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware I have to stop because I don't think it's even something that we talked about. We did a roundtable discussion over this chapter, and I think we failed to mention this part here. 
The term spiritual gifts here, uh, we have to clarify it, because this should dramatically change the way that we read the upcoming verses. The phrase spiritual gifts is brought to us by one Greek compound word, pneumatikos, which is split between pneuma, meaning the spirit, and matikos, which turns the noun into a plural adjective. So the whole thing means of the spirit, or spiritual things. So the word gifts isn't really quite there. And I think that's important to mention. It, gifts comes up later in, in the chapter. But when he's saying, now about spiritual gifts, he's really saying, now about the things that make you spiritual. Now about the things that are indicative of spiritual people. Now about the things that are of the Spirit. And it is an important distinction because the word gift uh, is something that they were hung up on. They, the Corinthian church was so focused on what their spiritual gifts were that they ignored the spirit that was gifting them. And so I think he's kind of playing with them a little bit. He's saying, hey, listen, there are spiritual gifts, but those don't necessarily make you spiritual. Those aren't necessarily the things that are spiritual matters. The word gift uh, doesn't quite exist in the Greek like it does in our translations. That's an important distinction because the whole passage is going to shift the Corinthian view of spirituality away from being all about their gift to instead now focusing on the spirit who anointed them for service. So verses 2 and 3 says this, You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what he's doing here, there's a main takeaway here. He's kind of dividing all of humanity into three different segments. He says there's Gentiles, when you were pagans. Another way that that could be read is when you were unbelievers, when you were living in accordance to the desires of your flesh, right? When you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led away by mute idols. He's talking about Gentiles, but more specifically, unbelieving Gentiles. Then he's, he's talking about the Jews next. No one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. So this is a common Jewish phrase. They would say Jesus is cursed because he's claiming to be the Messiah and they didn't believe him to be the Messiah. So he mentions unsaved Gentiles. Now he's talking about the Jews because it's a common Jewish phrase to speak against the Jesus movement. And then he talks about the believers. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because remember, this is a church that's in the time of the most heightened level of the Roman rule. When standing up and proclaiming to anyone that Jesus is Lord could be a death sentence to them. To say Jesus is Lord is to say that the government was not and that could only be done with the courageous empowerment of Holy Spirit. So he's talking about three different people, or three different groups of people. The unbelieving Gentiles, the unbelieving Jews, and then the believers that he's speaking to now. And that correlation uh, is important. It's important to know that he's talking to three different people because he wants to emphasize the boldness that the believers have to take in order to stand against the reign of the Roman Empire, the reign of the Jews, and the reign against the Gentiles who are not for them. And the correlation works both ways. Not only does Holy Spirit empower you to proclaim Jesus as Lord, if you truly proclaim Jesus as Lord, then you should have Holy Spirit working through you. It works both ways. The people who pronounce him as Lord are also the ones who are filled by his Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered all of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he works through the believers in three different ways. So there's three different kinds of people. There's three different ways that the Spirit works through them. First off is with different gifts. So verse 4 says, Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. We start off, there's the Holy Spirit works through the believer with kind of an examination of the different gifts he bestows on us, as well as pointing out, it's not there anymore, but pointing out the unity of the gifts being by the same giver, right? So there is difference in our gifts and there is unity in the gifter. We looked at the phrase spiritual gifts earlier. This term of gifts is now a completely different Greek word. This comes from charisma, which actually means now to speak, or it means something bestowed upon a person by no merit of their own. So a sister passage to this is Romans 12, where he kind of goes to the same thing. He says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, 
use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. There's several places in the New Testament where we find Paul listing specific gifts, and none of them are exactly the same. So we know that any given set of lists is not an exhaustive list of gifts. So we can look at one list of gifts, we can look at another list of gifts, we can look at them because they're all over the New Testament. We know that it's not an exhaustive list. We fall into a trap of thinking we can take an online test and it will give us 12 different options and we'll pick one of those and we'll believe that that is our spiritual gift and it will be that way forever and ever because this, the online test said so. Um, and and I, want to, I want to give a little bit of grace to that because what they're doing is they're finding a passage and saying, well, here's all the lists that Paul has mentioned, so it must be an exhaustive list. It's not necessarily true. Uh, not only that, when people hear the phrase spiritual gifts, they typically... Uh, distance it in their minds from the physical realm. And what I mean by that is, if we truly believe that Holy Spirit is present within us, like physically present with the believer, then we can understand things of great spirituality be just as rooted in realism as the things we can see. And so there's a problem that I have a little bit with the term spiritual gifts because it makes us think it's like this lofty thing. But it's not. If we have the Spirit living within us, then spiritual gifts are very accessible, just like anything physical would be. So we have things like prophecy, the proclamation of God's Word. We have service, which is the actual care for others. We have teaching, we have exhortation, giving, leading, showing mercy. And I believe Paul is giving samples of gifts here, examples of circumstances where Holy Spirit could be gifting you with a particular skill set in order to benefit the body of believers. I believe this is a sampling of items that Holy Spirit could be using you for. Because whatever gift you have, we're meant to maximize that gift so that we can do what Holy Spirit is doing through us. Remember from last week, we have the choice. We can choose whether we suppress the fruit of the Holy Spirit from being displayed in us. We can choose to walk in accordance to the flesh and suppress the fruit of the Spirit if we walk in accordance to the flesh. The alternate is true as well. We can maximize the display of Holy Spirit's fruit by operating from within our gifts. So again, I asked the question earlier. We, we, know, we know what it looks like when Holy Spirit's within us. We know what He looks like. But what do we look like when He's within us? we start looking a lot like his fruit when we operate from within our gifts. So later in our 1 Corinthians passage, we see some of the other gifts listed. I just looked at a list from Romans. There's more in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and these are things that are typically associated with the charismatic movement that Baptists have kind of ignored and were scared of. But like I mentioned, we see gifts of the Spirit all throughout Scripture. And it is contextualized to a particular group of people for a particular set of needs. This is going to be important later uh, this morning. In verse 8 it says this, To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And that last line is really key to understanding this list, especially in turn with the passage from Romans. The Spirit gives gifts as he sees fit. And we have to start trusting that the way that he chooses to be active in the lives of believers is better than whatever we've decided sits most cleanly within our comfort zones. We have to be okay understanding that Holy Spirit is on his own track, and he's going to gift people however he wants to gift them, as he wills. And we have to be okay with that even when it's uncomfortable for us. Sometimes we see Holy Spirit gifting a particular set of people in Scripture with a very particular set of gifts. And that might vary from a different list because he's talking to a different group of believers. 
But regardless of how he chooses to operate, whether he gives this group of believers this group of gifts and this group of believers a completely different set of gifts, it doesn't matter because he is the same spirit active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. He is still the one and same spirit. And another reason why we know this list in 1 Corinthians is not exhaustive is because Paul's larger point that he's about to make is that it's not even about the gifts. It's about the body. The rest of the chapter really isn't even going to talk about the gifts. Because that's not the point. We've made it the point, but it's not the point. The rest of the chapter is going to be a long metaphor now about how the body is one cohesive unit forged by their diversity, which is the Spirit's design. But for Paul, the larger conversation has less to do with gifts and more about the specific things that Spirit is doing through those gifts. In fact, he wants to divert attention away from the gifts, and Paul wants instead to address how diversity in the body should produce unity, about how we all are gifted and granted different things to do and different opportunities to do them in. And it's purposeful and intentional for the purpose of edifying the body. So we have different gifts. Next, Paul addresses different ministries. So this is in verse 5. He says, there are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are opportunities that Holy Spirit grants to you, you specifically, in order to fulfill and utilize your gifting. I honestly don't believe that Holy Spirit is gifting you with something without giving you an opportunity to display that gift. This is where you get lists of ministry throughout Scripture as well. Like I think about in Ephesians 4, where it talks about the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And beyond that specific Ephesians list, I think about people like elders and deacons or people who you know, serve on the worship team or on the security crew or in kids' ministry or the students who every week make you coffee. We all have different ministries as the particular place that God has called us to maximize and utilize your particular spirit-filled gifting. But I don't want you to mistake this just for church roles. I think sometimes we think, okay, well, you know, I, I check my box of service at church on Sunday, and that should be good enough. Um, I don't think ministry opportunities have to be confined to the building. And I think we have to understand that sometimes we're looking for a spotlight when God wants us to seek out ministry in a very quiet place. And I think we have to be very cautious to be constantly looking for moments and opportunities in ministry to allow Holy Spirit's gifts to be serving other people, regardless of whether it's here or informal, not here. Be cautious not to tell Holy Spirit where he's limited. Be cautious to use the daily opportunity he's given it to you and do it. We recorded a podcast episode this week. Uh, I had Miss Leah, who is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, and I say that because I know it, it gets me brownie points with her. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Josh Martin, who oversees our kids' ministry. And one thing that I've noticed is every time I talk to Miss Leah, every single time, she has a new example a real-life example of how she found the ministry opportunity in her daily life. So, like, you know, we're doing this podcast episode. I can't get her to stop telling stories. <laughs> and it's great, because what she's doing is she's illuminating to the listener how Holy Spirit grants opportunities for ministry everywhere you go. She understands the gift that Holy Spirit has given to her. She understands the way that Holy Spirit has enabled her to do something very specific, and she looks out for opportunities to then use that in ministry for others. I think that's a beautiful example. You have endless opportunities to display your gift. You just have to say yes to them. On the other hand, <laughs> don't mistake your good deeds as an excuse not to serve your church body. Don't, don't mistake being nice to someone as, okay, well, there's my, there's my checkbox for service this week. I, I, was, I was good. I didn't, I didn't cut the guy off on the road. Or, you know, I was kind to the girl who, um, you know, checked me out at the, not checked me out, but like checked me out at the grocery <laughs> store. 
Don't mistake your good deeds as being a full fulfillment of the role that God's placed in your life. Don't neglect your church body by amplifying your good deeds. So we have different activities next. Verse 6, it says, And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. I love the word activities because I immediately go to a space where I think of all the things that keep me busy as a parent of young children. When I think of activities, I think of, like, all this stuff. I think about school drop-off. I think about baseball practice and making lunches and walking to the park and, you know, doing crafts together and building Legos and bringing them to the church. And I, for whatever reason, associate the word activities with the busyness of my life, the things that keep me and my family going and going and going. It's the activity. And I think, in a very positive way, this is true of spiritual activities as well. We have gifts, and we have areas of ministry where we can use our gifts through service. And even in the midst of all of that, God is working and active and moving and active and moving and using you in your life. I think God never stops moving. So we have, we have a gift, we have a ministry, and then we are empowered by the action and the active presence of, of God in our life. We have to understand that when God is active in a particular way, in one person's life, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the way he's actively present in someone else's life. I've seen a lot of spiritual jealousy pop up because we see God has gifted a specific person in a specific way or he's granted opportunities for ministry in a specific way and we think, man, like I wish I had what they had. I wish that God was using me in that way or I wish that I could be like that person. I see a lot of spiritual jealousy pop up. And we have to understand that even though there's different ways that God is active, even though there are different activities, it is the same God who's moving within you and the believer sitting next to you. God is active in different ways. But the same God that's working in you is the same God that's working in me. And there are moments when God does incredible things and it may be beyond our comfort zone. And we have to be cautious to grant him the opportunities to use us as his vehicle to accomplish his will. What Holy Spirit does and how he does it, how he operates, is completely up to him. We are called to utilize the gifts that he's given us in the areas of ministry that he's granted us while he actively works through us. And there's a purpose to all the gifts, to all the ministries and activities. It's not, it's not just for our own edification. It's not so we can look good or even so we can feel personally fulfilled. That's not really the point. If there's anything to take home, it's this. It's found in verse 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Paul is purposeful. He's trying to really make it clear here that the whole point of this entire passage is that there's diversity of gifts that God distributes and manifests through the Spirit for the common good of the believing community. It's why we're not dealing with an exhaustive list. I said it was coming later. It's right now. It's why we're not dealing with an exhaustive list. It's why there is diversity in the grouping of our gifts. Because the common good for this body of believers might be different than the common good for that body of believers, which might be different from the common good for believers across the country and across the world. Because we are a particular collection of believers, a body who needs very specific things. And God is going to grant us collectively the gifting that we need to fulfill and to do the common good of the people here. And it's important then that we, that we see the diversity as being important, that we see each other and we see the different gifts that God's given us and we say, wow, it's the fact that we are all diversely gifted that we can be unified because we see the same spirit is working in all of us to accomplish one thing for the common good. So why does Paul need to make this point? Like I mentioned earlier, the next chapter of 1 Corinthians is all about the Corinthians making tongues an issue in the church gathering. They want to be able to speak in heavenly languages, and they want it to be all about themselves, and they want to prove how spiritual they are by the gifts that God has given them, and it's all about that. And that's not really the point, and Paul's trying to de-emphasize that point. So Paul, anticipating chapter 14, is already laying the groundwork here to emphasize the diversity of gifts because the Corinthians think that spiritual people speak in tongues. 
And Paul reminds them that any and every believer will and can receive various gifts to edify the body. So whether it's gifts or ministries or activities, they are all ultimately pointing to the same thing. They are manifestations or expressions of the Spirit at work in various people for the common good of the body. Paul's point of the whole chapter isn't the gifts, but it is the body. We don't own a gift. It's the Spirit's gift to the body. It's not your gift. It's the Spirit's empowering you to accomplish the edification of the body in and out of the church assembly. So we've run into a serious issue, a really bad one, where we've allowed ourselves to believe that we are the gift. That people are blessed by our incredible goodness. And that we then have the right to extend or withhold our gift as we choose. Which is the natural conclusion if we are the gift. And this is entirely antithetical to the way the Holy Spirit has granted us his presence. The outpouring of our gifts in the framework of service while being actively driven by the power of God should be our only natural response to having Holy Spirit within us. If he's within us, if we truly believe that you are indwelled by the Spirit of God, then you can't help but to overflow into service through the gifts that he's given to you because he is actively working inside you. Sometimes we even experience a selfish withholding of our gifting because there may not be an immediate opportunity. And what I mean by this is, I remember one Sunday years ago, this person is not here, so I feel like we can talk about him. Um, he, there, there was a, a person who came in, and uh, I, I honestly think very well-intentioned, that came up to me before service and said, I'm a drummer. I want to play drums this morning. And I told him, I, I already have a drummer scheduled today. You know, we've practiced, we've prepared. Um, the songs are already in place, but, you know, keep coming. And, and maybe we can find a spot where you can utilize that gift. And, uh, and he was offended with that response, and he left before church even started. And sometimes I think if you feel gifted in a way that Holy Spirit isn't providing you an opportunity to display at this time, I'd challenge you to question, maybe there's a different gift that God wants to grant you for this season. If he doesn't have an opportunity for you to operate in the way that you expect, maybe he's wanting to work through you in unexpected ways. And maybe we are choosing to suppress his gifting because we don't like the opportunities that he's giving to us. I can't tell you how often I don't want to get in trouble, but I, I, I can't tell you how often people ask for help. You know, whether it's serving, with, serving the preschool or serving on security or packing shoe boxes or doing whatever. And we say, God, grant me a gift. And he's saying, you see the opportunities all around you for service. I'm actively working through your church body. Maybe I am gifting you to pack a shoe box. And we say, no, that's not my gift. <laughs> but they go together. All three of these go together. We are gifted. He gives us opportunity. And he's actively working. And maybe we need to start seeing the opportunities that are present as being the gifts that God is currently granting you for the common good of the church body. Maybe we need to be better about putting aside our own talents and abilities, which I think you are all talented, beautiful unicorns. However, maybe we need to understand that the area that we feel most gifted in might not be the opportunities that God is granting you. And maybe he's using that as an opportunity to develop new gifts within you that you have suppressed or said no to. And I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> it's in the same way that we have the power to repress the fruit of the Spirit. If we choose to walk in the flesh, we can repress the fruit of the Spirit, but we can also repress the work of the Spirit. If we choose to give precedence to our own glory and to our own comfort. The point of the gifts is to build up the body and to push the kingdom of God forward. The point is not to have just this intense spiritual experience. And the point is certainly not to be amplified in our own glory. The point is for the common good. 
When Jesus' ministry began, God the Father granted his spirit to rest upon him, and he was empowered to do incredible works that we see echoed throughout all of time, and that same Holy Spirit has now anointed you to continue on in the work of the ministry. And we've chosen to say yes or no to that. It's a problem. Holy Spirit dwells within us. He displays his fruit through us. He grants us gifting to enable us. He provides opportunities to serve others in ministry. He remains an active, constant presence working in and through us, us being the body of Christ, one body. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So the question then ends here. Is Paul talking about gifts or the body? Paul definitely wants to talk about the gifts. The Corinthians have made the gifts a major issue. And he wants to talk about them. But it's clear that the gifts are... Although they are a major topic of conversation to the Corinthian church, the whole context that Paul is really trying to emphasize is the body. Paul wants us to realize from this illustration that each member plays a vital role in the church. This is something that we mentioned in the roundtable discussion a few months ago. You can't amputate yourself from the body and then Frankenstein yourself onto another place. Say, I'm the index finger in this body of believers. And because I'm offended by the thumb or because the foot of my body is taking me where I don't want to go, or because my, whatever, I'm going to take my index finger and I'm going to put it onto a different body that already has an index finger. And now there's going to be a six-fingered church. This was never how the church was meant to operate. We, we suffer from, uh, you know, American commercialism where, you know, you get mad here, not you, you are wonderful people, where someone else gets mad at something and then goes off and finds another church because we have options. And the New Testament church wasn't granted options like we were to find the, ones, the one place where we feel most comfortable. That wasn't the way the church was. The church was a collection of people who all were united by Holy Spirit, anointed by him to continue on the work of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And if we don't see ourselves in that way, then we don't see ourselves as a New Testament church. And I hate to think that that's what we've become. But we can fix that by understanding how the church was meant to operate. We're meant to be unified by our various backgrounds, by our diversity in gifts, by our various roles, functions, and responsibilities. Every part is integral. Even the parts that seem less important are vital. Your spiritual, bo your spiritual gift is whatever the body needs. You can't take a test and find out what the body needs. You have to be a part of the body. You know, I, I, I know when I need water. And I don't know it because, you know, my hand says so, but my hand knows to grab the water because my throat says so. And you only know that if you are grafted into the body of Christ. You only know that if you're an integral member. So how do you know what your spiritual gift is? 
you know because you are a part of the body, and you know what is for the common good of the body. Are you propelling forward to the common good of the body? Are you maximizing your giftedness to serving the body? If the body is edified and pushed forward to the common good by more preschool workers, then you will be gifted to work there. If the body is edified by merciful people like our deacon board, you will be specifically gifted with the gift of mercy. We need to reframe our language around the gifts. We have gift tests to find out what it means to be gifted, but Paul's making the exact opposite point in this chapter. We think about the gifts in specific, narrow terms that define who and what we can and what we should do in the church. But Paul's telling the Corinthians, the gifts aren't yours. They are whatever the Spirit is manifesting for the common good of the body. And we have to be cautious not to confine the Spirit to a specific set of gifts and rather allow him to work in us for the sake of the whole body. The gifts that Paul lists are important, but only as they relate to the body. The Spirit manifests, manifests in the community, and it is not a superpower that you possess, because it's the Spirit working through you for the body, not about you. We need to change our language about spiritual gifts. It's not your gift, it's what the Spirit is gifting you to do to bless the community of believers. The Spirit will empower you to do what is needed to edify the body. You have talents and you have abilities that the Spirit can empower to build and edify his body. He made you a certain way with specific traits and he is molding you into the person that you need to be for the sake of his body. And that needs to be our desire here. If each member will allow the Spirit to empower you to do whatever he wills, then the Spirit's gifts will manifest in you. Paul, in the very next chapter, he goes on to encourage the believers to seek the gifts. He's saying, listen, if you want gifts, go after them, tiger. You got it. But he doesn't want you to to lose sight of the whole point, which is for the good of the body. Paul doesn't want us to be scared of the Spirit. He doesn't want us to try to confine the Spirit to whatever we think should be normal. We should want to see miracles. We should want words of knowledge. We should want all the other gifts that Paul lists and so much more. Because then in his next letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, he says, Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. You've been made by the creator of the universe to stand firm in him, and that is possible because you have been anointed to do the work of the ministry by the very spirit of God. We should want to see the power of God impacting our church body and our community. We should be open to what the Spirit wants to do in us. But first, we have to adjust our expectations of what the Spirit should be. I think when we view our gifts correctly, then we're way more receptive to partner with the Spirit in our everyday moments as we see God's power going through us in growing the kingdom. Do you believe that Holy Spirit has anointed you with purpose? Do you believe that Holy Spirit wants to use you for his service? Do you believe that Holy Spirit is calling you out to continue the mission of Christ? Ask him, Holy Spirit, how are you actively gifting me in this moment to serve others for the common good of your body? Let's pray together. God, I am so thankful. You've created us with such purpose, and you didn't abandon us. You gave us your spirit to actively work through us, to display your fruit in our lives. You have gifted us, and you've given us opportunities to serve not only you, but the whole of the body, and you have not abandoned us. You are actively within us, and we are so thankful. And we are devastated to think of the times that we have ignored your presence because we've been trying to amplify our goodness. Forgive us. Allow us to seek opportunities to serve you, to serve the church body for the common good of the believers. This is all in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Jeremy, I'm going to ask you to play just for a minute. Listen, that's, that's too good not to have a moment of response.
I'm going to ask you just to do this. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I'm going to challenge you right here. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you, but He's not a permanent resident in your heart yet. That happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want you to find me or one of the elders after the service. We'd love to pray with you and have that moment where you give your life completely to Christ and have Him come into your heart and save you. And there are very likely several here who need to be saved today. I'm not going to put you on the spot. We're just going to put the ball in your court. If that's you I'm speaking to, I want you just to come and find me. I'll be right here after the service. Say, Pastor, I need someone to show me what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want to pray and receive him as my Savior. And we'll do that at the end of the service when everyone starts to leave. Predominantly, I'm speaking to Christians this morning. But here's how we're going to find out right now. Here's how we're going to know if you really have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to say three words out loud. Not just say the words, but really believe it in your heart. If you really believe these three words... I want you to say these three words out loud. Jesus is Lord. For no one can call Jesus Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. So we've just established this morning that God is working in you. He has illuminated you and He has shown you that you're a child of God, you've received Christ, the Spirit of Christ has come to live in your heart. And He has, as Jeremy said this morning, anointed you. He is on you. He is in you. Not only so you would come to church on Sunday morning, He is in you to empower you in the same way He empowered the life of Christ. And there's many things God wants to do through you today, this week. But we have to say yes to him. I want you to pray right now. Because one of our church members buried his dad last week. And maybe you would pray right now, Father, gift me, Spirit, gift me to be an encouragement to Brother Craig. Lisa lost her husband just recently. Maybe God would use you with the gift of encouragement to love her and pray with her and go by the house and have a cup of tea and hug her neck and say, we're all with you together in this. We have a church member who is extremely bashful super quiet, very reserved, has a estranged relationship with his father. His father is lying in the hospital in critical condition. And that man knows that he needs to go witness to his unsaved father this week. You know what he needs. He needs Holy Spirit's gifting and power to move way out of his comfort zone to be able to go witness to his estranged father. If anybody's going to lead him to Christ, it'll be our church member. This is what we're talking about. Opportunities are popping up. And they are definitely things out of our comfort zone. That's why we need a supernatural gifting to pull them off. If it were something we could do in our flesh, where is the supernatural in that? There are people at your work tomorrow who are struggling. You need to pray with someone. And you're terrified. That's why Holy Spirit's going to gift you to do it. But you just have to say yes. There is a classmate that needs you, maybe needs friendship, maybe needs encouragement. You can do this. 
So here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray to the Holy Spirit who lives in your heart right now. And I want you to say, Holy Spirit, my answer is yes. Present me with the opportunity. Present me with the circumstance. Help me to get over my fears. Help me to get over myself. Get out of my head. And lean and rely upon you because I know with every opportunity you're going to give me exactly what I need to say. You're going to give me the courage. You're going to give me the boldness. You're going to give me the ability to do whatever you're asking me to do. You're with me. You will never abandon me. And I know that and I claim that. And I lean upon you for all that you want to do. My answer to you, Spirit of God, is yes. I am yours and I am available and I will do my best to say yes to you in these moments knowing you're going to gift me for whatever circumstance you put me into. Holy Spirit of God, I am yours. Work through my life as you did through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this week, make yourself real to me. This week, speak to me. Show me areas of service. Show me what I need to do. Show me how to use my gifts. Even now, the Holy Spirit may be saying something to you that's way out of... That thought pops into your head right now, that impulse, and it may be way out of... From left field in your mind, but it's not. It's what Holy Spirit has been trying to say to you, and He's saying it. I want you to say to Him right now, I hear you. Just let him know, I hear you, and my answer is yes, I'll do what you want me to do. Father, bless your people as we rededicate and resurrender our lives this morning to your leading. Bless us now as we take communion together. In Jesus' name we pray.